Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to uh, another edition of the Sea Report coming to you live on this Monday, August 8th, 2022. I'm your host, Mr. C, also known as Michael Aaron Gossetus. How is everyone doing today, ladies and gentlemen? I hope y'all are doing well. I hope y'all are doing well. Boy, oh boy, gee, oh my, oh my. Good gosh, golly, Miss Molly. There is so much going on right now. I feel like I've been saying that like at the head of every episode of everything I do for like the last couple of weeks, but indeed it is, ladies and gentlemen, indeed it is, and we've got a lot to talk about today, got a lot of talk, a lot to talk about today, had a lot of stuff to talk about previously, but uh, we just had a, uh, we just had an alert come in, I guess, kind of breaking news, you know, I don't break news here, I just report it, but uh, it appears that the uh, FBI has uh, executed a search warrant on President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. So that's kind of got uh, the attention of a lot of individuals right now. So I thought at the head of today's episode, we just go ahead and take a look at what is going on. Because uh, well, tonight's report will be offshores, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go ahead and see what's going on real quick. I pulled this uh, article here. From um, Breitbart, I was like, hmm, how can I go to to figure out what's going on over there at Mar-a-Lago? It says FBI raids President Donald Trump's home uh, at Mar-a-Lago. It says here, former President Donald Trump, their words not mine, his Florida home at Mar-a-Lago was raided by FBI agents. Trump announced in a statement on Monday, uh, these are dark times for our nation as my beautiful home at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida is currently under siege raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. You know it's getting pretty serious, ladies and gentlemen. You know that the uh, bad guys, they are a-losing when they start doing things like this. I mean, this is a clear sign of uh, of uh, not only the impending defeat, I would say, but of their uh, panic, ladies and gentlemen, when they start taking measures like this. Uh, President uh, Trump's statement uh, continues, nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before. Trump noted his previous cooperation with law enforcement and called the FBI raid of his home prosecutorial misconduct. Trump also said it is an example of the uh, weaponization of the justice system who desperately do not want me to run for president in 2024. And that's because they know he's going to win. There's no way around it. Why do you think all, all political parties do not want Trump running again? Okay. The only ones who do are ones that don't necessarily follow party lines, right? Because they understand your best candidate is who you're going to go with. But that's all political parties in this country. Trump continued. After working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. It is prosecutorial misconduct. 
the weaponization of the justice system and an attack by the radical left Democrats who desperately do not want me to run for president in 2024, especially based on recent polls, and who will likewise do anything to stop Republicans and conservatives in the upcoming midterm elections. Such an assault could only take place in broken third world countries. Sadly, America has now become one of those countries corrupt at a level not seen before. They even broke into my safe. What is the difference between this and Watergate, where operatives broke into the Democrat National Committee? Here, in reverse, Democrats broke into the home of the 45th president of the United States of America. The president said that he has been politically persecuted for years and pointed to the Russia collusion hoax narrative and two failed impeachments as examples of the continued persecution. And let's not leave out the January 6th unselect committee, right? The political persecution of President Donald J. Trump has been going on for years with the now fully debunked Russia, Russia, Russia scam, impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, and so much more. It just never ends. It is political targeting at the highest level, said the 45th president. He also pointed out that absolutely nothing has happened to failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, who deleted 33,000 emails after they were subpoenaed by Congress. Trump added, Hillary Clinton, uh, we might as well add that nothing has happened to her since it's been discovered that she was tied to what? The Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. I mean, come on, it came out already in Durham's uh, investigations, but it says here, uh, President Trump continued, Hillary Clinton was allowed to delete an acid acid wash 33,000 emails after they were subpoenaed by Congress. Absolutely nothing has happened to hold her accountable. She even took antique furniture and other items from the White House. I stood up to America's, um, America's bureaucratic corruption. I restored power to the people and truly delivered for our country like we have never seen before. The establishment hated it. Now, as they watch my endorsed candidates win big victories and see my dominance in all polls, they are trying to stop me and the Republican Party once more. The lawlessness, political persecution, and witch hunt must be exposed and stop. I will continue to fight for the great American people, Trump concluded. And uh, article concludes at the bottom that this is a developing story. And indeed, because uh, this totally just broke not too long ago. That's pretty bad. You know, um, they, they are really running out of options here, ladies and gentlemen. The deep state, uh, you know, the swamp creatures, the globalist influenced. They are running out of options, you know, uh, because the next thing that we have, I think, on the list here, ladies and gentlemen, would be for them to uh, cancel the elections outright. Like that is their only other way out of this, you know, which, you know, they're trying to do. I mean, why do you think we had uh, monkeypox declared as a, uh, a national emergency, you know? Well, I mean, we know why they declared it here. It's for the, the stealing of the elections also. But, you know, let's not forget also um, um, that Tedros up there at the WHO, well, he declared it first. You know, he said this is a nation, this is, this is a health emergency. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, uh, his monkeys followed suit, ladies and gentlemen. His monkeys followed suit. 
so um, uh, they they need this. So uh, there's no telling what's behind this raid. You know, uh, I, I'm guessing because I have just heard about this story as well that there are no uh, there are no reasons given, right? No reasons given for them to raid his uh, his home. Uh, I mean, what what else could President Trump have had there? You know, uh, we have, uh, as President Trump stated, we have the uh, victory, the success of his endorsed candidates, whether you like them or not. You know, um, th- that all will lead up to a solid victory uh, and also give him leverage to run in uh, run as the Republican um, nomination for a president uh, in the midterm. OK, um, and, and maybe perhaps maybe maybe this monkeypox thing is just not going to fly. I mean, it, maybe it's just not going to fly. I mean, you know, we had declared we had declared um a monkeypox um, emergencies like in California, New York, and uh, some other places, for example. Uh, but when it came to masking up again, you know, several of the municipalities, the cities in California said, no, we're not going to do it. So, you know, they're facing pushback even in their bluest or at least faux blue, their fake blue states uh, from the people who are not going to go along with it. And maybe they see the writing on the wall. Maybe they're reading the leaves and the tea. Maybe they can tell that monkeypox or COVID 2.0, lockdowns 2.0, is not going to work. It's not going to happen. You know, uh, the way that they had planned this whole thing out to begin with is we would have been locked down for like four or five years before they had the vaccines. And even then, they'd still kill us with the vaccines. So um, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, they need a way to thwart this man. They need a way to thwart the American people. And uh, it's just getting harder and harder for them as we move along. And we're already in a late hour, ladies and gentlemen. We are already in a late hour, at least by my uh, uh, speculations, because uh, uh, let's face it, you know, uh, election data can be erased in less than a month. You know, and the heat's definitely turning up uh, in the kitchen uh, as far as um, uh, them being able to uh, to lie and deceive and erase all of that data. I mean, it's it's coming down to the wire, guys. You know, if you joined us earlier today on Lone Star News, we were going over a, a lawsuit that has been filed. It was filed at the end of the month, last month, on Jan- uh, July uh, 20th. In the state of Texas, okay, it is a hefty, beefy, thorough lawsuit against the state of Texas, uh, suing um, suing Governor Abbott, suing A.G. Paxton, suing two secretaries of state, including the deputy secretary of state, and also suing about six, seven, eight different counties, all their election officials, and all of their commissioners. And it is one of the most thorough lawsuits that I have ever seen with all of the details uh, that lay out every single way that elections were held illegally in this country and in the state of Texas. So it's coming down to the wire, you know, um, very, very, very good information, guys. But yeah, this is pretty crazy, pretty lawless, uh, seeing this having happened to our president, President Donald Trump. Uh, I just wonder what the excuse is going to be. You know, I wonder what the excuse is going to be. I wonder what they're going to come up with uh, as a reason for them um, raiding his home. In fact, you know what? I bet you I bet you even maybe the uh, the mainstream media, the mainstream lamestream um, fake news media would maybe they would give us a hint about what uh, was going on. 
Oh, it's the it's the presidential records. Really? Oh, they're still going after the presidential records. I thought this uh, situation was already solved. Uh, what's up with that? Oh my goodness, that is ridiculous. That's ri- so. This is this is genuinely, this is genuinely, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the January sixth unselect committee. That's what you got going on here. Let me pull this on the screen for you guys so you can take a gander at what what I just uh, I told you. You see, the enemy papers, they will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, they will tell you exactly what they're doing and why they did it, all right? Uh, let's see here. Tim Bajet and the audiences wonder what they planted in his safe. Oh, no kidding, right? No kidding. I'd be like, can I take a picture of what's in the safe before you get uh, you take everything out of there? Hmm. Let's see here. What are the speculations do we have here? Other speculations. Hey, Tam Growl. Tam Growl says, I think Schiff ordered this. Trump's been hard uh, hard on lately. Schiff still looking for that irrefutable proof. <laughs> uh, Timbajit says, just guessing, but the toilet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Timbajit says, I bet this was J6 BS. Just guessing, but the toilet documents and whatnot are what they are after. You have to judge to sign a search warrant unless it's terrorist related. So, yeah, you know, maybe this has something to do with this being because uh, we're all terrorists now, according to what? What was just uh, leaked from Project Barentos, right? Uh, the uh, the homegrown terrorists um, and, and the signs and the warnings, you know, you know, they got uh, they're like, if they have an American flag, they're a terrorist, you know. So maybe that's what's up. But uh, you called it uh, you called it Timba Jet. Uh, Donald Trump said the FBI served the search warrant on Monday as the president continues to face a flurry of investigations over the January 6th insurrection interference in the 2020 election fraud and other issues. In fact, guys, I just saw a new video last night that I thought spelled out the J6, the entire shabam from who plotted it out, who is the one that's trying to get Trump connected to the insurrection so that they can... Uh, put him in jail or they can uh, uh, do a criminal indictment on him. Uh, we're not going to do that tonight because, uh, well, this is breaking. I wasn't expecting to see this today. Uh, but look, I want to show you guys the the headline I read for this was much different than the... who. What newspaper has a headline like this? Look at a whole paragraph, right? Let me show you the real headline that I saw here. Let's see. Come on. Show us, show us the headline. Show us the headline. Uh, reports said the search warrant centered on boxes of presidential records Trump improperly took with him when he left the White House. Okay, that's what the headline says when you're looking at it on the good old MSM, right? Bad old MSM, yeah. But uh, when you get over here, when you go into immersive, it gives you a paragraph long headline. Anyways, so that's what this is going to be about. Now, last we left off, Trump handed over boxes to uh, those individuals that were there to pick up for the uh, uh, for uh, these uh, presidential records having been stolen. Okay, but even prior to that, um, it was already disclosed that everything that President Trump had was rendered unclassified or declassified. It was it no longer had any type of classification significance to it. So I don't know what's up, but let's see what uh, the snakes have to say about this. Uh, In a lengthy statement, Trump said a large group of FBI agents were raiding Mar-a-Lago, his estate in Palm Beach, in an effort he deemed was not necessary or appropriate. 
In addition to slamming law enforcement, Trump also disparaged Democrats. It was not clear what items the warrant was seeking, but the president said agents opened his safe. A spokesperson for the FBI declined to comment. The execution of a search warrant requires a sign-off by a federal judge who authorizes such a measure after being presented with evidence of potential crimes. Uh, CNN reported that Trump was not in Florida at the time of the raid and instead at Trump Tower in New York. A representative for the president did not immediately respond to BuzzFeed. What? They have news over there? Really? I didn't know that. Anyways, it was uh, their request for comment. Uh, the raid, w- raid was first reported by Florida Politics, a local site, citing sources. The New York Times, Politico, and the Associated Press reported that the search warrant centered on boxes of presidential records Trump improperly took with him when he left the White House. This has already been taken care of. I mean, I don't understand. You know, this is just... Okay, so uh, clearly, ladies and gentlemen, clearly... The boxes of improperly uh, taken items is just their umbrella blanket cover. That's all that is. In fact, they, they could do a raid on him again in the next month, and they'll probably say there were more boxes of improperly taken items from the White House. You know, uh, go. why don't you go and retrieve the silver and the fine china that Hillary Clinton took from the White House when she left office, you know? Why, why don't they go and do that? You know, good point, President Trump, on that one. So uh, let's see here. <clears throat> the National Archives and Records Administration, a totally woke uh, agency, said in February that it had retrieved 15 boxes of documents in mid-January, but that it believed Trump still had more records to turn over. The AP reported that the agency referred the matter to the Department of Justice after discovering classified information in the documents it recovered earlier this year. The National Archives and the DOJ did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Uh, Monday's raid comes as members of Congress and authorities in New York, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. continue to investigate Trump over last year's attacks on the Capitol, interference in the 2020 presidential election, and for financial fraud. Over the course of several public hearings, the House's select committee uh, to investigate the January 6th false flag riot attack has laid out their case, which is basically nothing. It's all hearsay. Uh, against President Trump. Through testimony and evidence, the committee has shown that he knew the claims of voter fraud were false. No, 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 no. That makes no, not one bit of difference. Okay, why don't you read the lawsuit that was filed in Texas and then tell me if there was voter fraud or not? Let me tell you what. Anyhow, uh, and then uh, Vice President, uh, then Vice President Pence uh, to overturn the, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, so, well, there you go, guys. There's the spiel. There's Der Spiel over what the heck is going on with this raid since that was uh, that was that was breaking, you know, and I'm sure everyone's kind of wondering what's going on. Just a new just just a new uh, a new face of uh, further lawlessness from these people, further lawlessness from these people. May may it just simply uh, prove to be another a nail in their coffin. That's basically all I could say about that. May it just uh, prove to be another nail in their coffin. Uh, something else that will be uh, used against them in the court of law once, uh, once uh, you know, uh, we, uh, we get some justice served here, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, what a way to start off the C-Report. Man, I didn't even uh, get to just talk out uh, you, my new you what for a minute. What a way to start off the C-Report. Thank you guys for joining us here on uh, this evening's edition of the C-Report. Uh, breaking news again here. Uh, I, we didn't break the news. We're just reporting it. 
over here at um, the Sea Report. Uh, we're live right now on multiple channels, including uh, Rumble, uh, Pill.net, the Foxhole.app, Clout Hub, and Twitch. Thank you all for joining us tonight and, uh, and uh, for remaining with us for uh, the next couple of hours as we uh, get into tonight's Sea Report. Not talking about America tonight. Interestingly enough, ladies and gentlemen, even though there was a lot going on, you know, like we had CPAC going on in Texas. We had an entire range of America First rock stars who were here in the Lone Star State. Yes, the Sea Report is based out of Texas. And uh, so, yeah, well, we'll we'll do some recaps on that. You know, you know, I was planning on talking about CPAC Texas during uh, this afternoon's edition of Lone Star News, right? That's a uh, Lone Star News is our Texas centric uh, news and current events show. We do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at three p.m. Central Time. And uh, no, you know, this lawsuit uh, that I just uh, stumbled upon um, this past week uh, over the weekend, uh, ha- it took precedence over that, that's for sure. Uh, just real quick to fill you guys in on it. Uh, we had what, you know, what could amount to a class action. And I only say that because there's like about 40 to 50 Texans who have all put their name on this lawsuit that was filed pro se against uh, against the state of Texas for um, the illegalities or the legal failures in Texas elections, okay? And it's a doozy of a lawsuit, ladies and gentlemen. It's a doozy of a lawsuit. So if you guys missed out on that information, uh, you can most definitely check out uh, the uh, replay or the archived episode. Uh, we're not done with it yet. Uh, we're going through the entire lawsuit in almost line by line, not not entirely line by line, but almost line by line uh, to provide an example or a template for other um, um, concerned Americans, patriots out there who are wondering how they can initiate this type of lawsuit in their home state. So, you know, on Wednesday, um, on the next edition of Lone Star News, we'll continue going through the lawsuit. It's got so much information, so much data in it, um, and and it posts every single reason why the judges can't throw it out for lack of standing. It's a good, it's, it's, it's right up there with the Michael Sussman lawsuit, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I, it's one that I can see... Uh, you know, uh, schools, you know, studying in the future. I mean, it's that thorough. It's almost like a speaking indictment instead of leaving, uh, you know, all of all of these loose ends, right? Like sus, uh, um, John Durham's uh, indictment did, you know, the loose ends being like, you know, how it said in the uh, in the indictment, uh, you know, uh, bank number one or federal agency number two, right? And it leaves all those loose threads and, you know, you can go and explore who those were and who they could possibly be indicting in the future. No, 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 no. Uh, The Texas uh, lawsuit against um, the state of Texas for election failures, it's thorough, it's complete, it's finite, but it is it is it is one of those documents. I just it blew me away as I was reading it. So uh, join us on Wednesday, especially if you are a Texas friend. But if you are concerned about how you can get involved at the next level, right? You know, we're not just going to vote. We're not just going to call. We're not just going to write letters. We're not just going to show up to our representatives and stick our finger in their face. You know, we're going to take it to the next level, right? And that's kind of why uh, I'm really sharing the depth and the breadth of the lawsuit, but we'll be going over that on Wednesday uh, and uh, that'll be on Lone Star News. So, you know, that that took precedence over CPAC. I mean, come on. We had Trump, we had Kerry Lake, we had all Steve Bannon. Everyone was here in Texas this past weekend. 
but uh, nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, tonight uh, we will be discussing, actually, we're doing our Russia episode update, or update episode. So tonight we'll be taking you to the shores of Ukraine, and there's a lot of stuff. You know, yes, it's still happening. We are still having the Russia special military operation. Uh, it's primarily focused in the Donbass region, in the liberated republics of uh, the Donetsk and the Luhansk. Uh, to, uh, it seems a lot of the action is happening in the Don, the People's Republic of Donetsk. So uh, that's where a lot of our stories will take place. It's going to be a pretty interesting episode because we're also going to be talking about the psychological operations that are being run in Ukraine by the Ukrainians. Okay, so for those of you who have been wondering, because, you know, we hear about the psychological operations here in America. We're very well aware of them. You know, our military has uh, several psychological operations units. You know, the FBI and the CIA and every other three-letter agency, they're all running psych ops on, you know, the people constantly all the time, you know, especially since the repeal of the, uh, was the Frank Muntz Act uh, in the uh, 2012 NDAA, uh, that they can run propaganda on the shores of America against the American people. So a lot to talk about. Yeah, that's right. The Ukrainian government, I mean, all governments, let's be honest, they run the psychological operations. But uh, we're going to take a look at the Ukrainian, uh, their, their department for psychological operations. And uh, that'll be just one of the, uh, I guess, the uh, bonuses for tonight's discussion on what's happening in the Russia-Ukraine situation. Uh, but as far as the audience, we got uh, Timba Jets in the house tonight. We also got, uh, who else there? Mikey B. Bad. What's up, buddy? Good to see you. Thanks for popping in to say hello and give us a good old, I'm mad at the clown world. <laughs> We're all mad at the clown world, right? Uh, and they're all starting to come out like clowns. Uh, Justice Song is in the house. What does Justice Song have to say? Hi, Mr. C. I thought my phone was freaking out. I was like, Julie Green, how did I get on that channel? I love her. <laughs> Good to see you, Justice Song. Glad you're with us tonight. Uh, Tam Growl's also in the house. Good to see you again, Tam Growl. I'm glad you are with us this evening. Relanon, what's up, buddy? Thank you for gifting 117 gold pills. Angel Wings, they are trying to prevent him from running again. Everyone does not want Trump to run again. Anyone who's anyone in the deep state swamp does not want Trump to uh, does not want uh, Trump to run. And uh, yes, Timbajet, that's uh, that's exactly what it is. Timbajet says, "Don't worry, folks. The man is made of Teflon. Nothing sticks because he is honest." Yeah, Teflon Don, right? That's what they call him these days. That's what they call. He's the uh, the new the the. Uh, the remastered, re-improved version of Teflon Don? I don't know. Uh, let's get to some President Trump statements. Of course, uh, the statements obviously are not going to reflect this afternoon's events over at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, but nevertheless, let's go ahead and share these with you folks so we can get into Russia and Ukraine. All right, guys, it says here, uh, anybody that did what Senator Denang Dick Blumenthal did having to do with a totally fake and made-up military service career in Vietnam, should not be allowed to be a U.S. senator. He is a true lowlife. Vote for Leora Levy, or Levi, a wonderful woman who will fight for low taxes and energy independence. She will get the job done and never let you down. So uh, there is a cutting endorsement uh, that is for uh, Leora Levi, uh, the endorsement part, of course, being for Leora and the cutting part, of course, being for Denang Dick. <laughs> uh, next statement, Dan Goldman put his ad used 
uh, puts in his ad used run in running for Congress that he impeached Donald Trump, but he lost. So why would anyone want to vote for a loser, right? I mean, we see that's what happened with Peter Meyer in uh, Michigan. And uh, apparently something's going down in the state of Washington where a band of losers, um, the 10 uh, representatives that voted to impeach Trump, uh, what's that chick's name again? Uh, Jamie Herrera Butler? (laughs) We'll call her Jaime. Jaime. Uh, uh, she might be losing her seat. What's going on, right? Okay, we'll we'll try and catch up with that story tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. We'll try and catch up with that story. But uh, you know, one of one of the band of brothers, <laughs> the band of losers, stands to lose another one. Who will follow Peter Meyer? Could it be Jamie Herrera Butler? It seems like that's a possibility. So uh, yeah, why would anyone in their right mind who wants to get re-elected in a climate like this, openly admit that they voted to impeach Donald Trump, right? (laughs) What a moron. All right, let's see what we got next for you guys from President Trump. Mitch McConnell got played like a fiddle um, with the vote today by the Senate Democrats. First, he gave them the fake infrastructure bill, then guns, never used the debt ceiling for negotiating purposes, gave it away for nothing, and now this. Mitch does not have a clue. He is so bad for the Republican Party. Of course, in this instance, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pretty sure that we can see for ourselves that uh, maybe it's not that Mitch McConnell doesn't have a clue. Maybe Mitch McConnell likes to be played like a fiddle. Maybe there's lines of cocaine on those fiddle wires, you know? But uh, either way, ladies and gentlemen, it all just boils down to one thing. Mitch McConnell is a rhino. Mitch McConnell is a traitor. Mitch McConnell is a duplicitous swamp creature, okay? He's a duplicitous swamp creature. He served his purpose through and through, and I'm sure if he doesn't get caught in a noose, the payoff will be big for him. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that because then people will be like, you see, they're violent over there at America First. They talk about people hanging. Next statement from President Trump. A man I know just informed me that his son, a very good student at West Point, is leaving because the school has gone radical left and woke. He has already picked a very good university. Hmm. Very interesting that President Trump is going after West Point. You know, I actually heard, I don't know that this is true because I don't, this is hearsay, right? This is, this is me pretending to be the January 6th unselect committee hearsay, right? Anyways, I heard that um, a year two of hazing over at West Point is very, very interesting. And uh, if you don't want to catch monkeypox, you're just going to leave. Hmm. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's a reason why President Trump is shining the light over there. All right. And our last statement for today from President Donald Trump. America's comeback begins this November. And it will continue onward with unstoppable momentum to November 2024. We are going to keep on working. We are going to keep on fighting. We are going to keep on winning. And we are going to get our country back. 
As long as we do not lose our spirit, our movement will never be defeated. It will only get stronger with each passing day. Thank you, CPAC Texas. Make America great again. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I will sneak in some coverage of CPAC at some point, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, too many things. It's good to be busy, though, right? It's good to be busy. All right. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we will head steadily over to the land between the land. That is which otherwise known as the passage, right? I mean, Ukraine, that stands for like the passage or like the way between or something like that. You know, that's why they call, that's why people call it the Ukraine because it literally means like the passage or like the passway or whatever. But it's just Ukraine, you know, as a nation, uh, as a nation. Uh, but indeed, ladies and gentlemen, um, the Russia special military operation to demilitarize and denazify continues uh, to this day in the land otherwise known as Ukraine. And uh, a lot of the uh, fighting over there, a lot of the battle has uh, centered now in the Donbass region. Of course, the Donbass region is what is referred to now as the um, as the uh, sovereign nations, the People's Republic of Luhansk and the People's Republic of Donetsk. Okay, uh, so these are these are the new the newest countries in this world, right? Because I don't know where Transnistrian came from, right? For those of you who are like, "What the heck are you trans? What, Mister C? Yeah, there's some brand new country I've never heard of called Transnistria. Like, what kind of Transnistria? Where the heck did that come from? And why didn't anyone tell us about that, right? Yeah, go look it up. Go look it up if you don't believe me. I don't cook the sauce. I just serve it. Okay. Anyways, so yeah, so you know Donetsk and Luhansk, that's where a lot of the uh, the fighting between uh, whatever's left, whatever is left of the uh, of the military forces of Ukraine um, are centered in. Uh, but you know the thing about this is, is, you know, we've had the Russia military who's been very successful at the demilitarization specifically. You know, uh, now I'm pretty sure they still have some contingents throughout uh, the country, but. As per the main battle, it's over in that region. But but you know what we're seeing a lot of right now. What we're what we're hearing reports of the most coming out of Ukraine has to deal with uh, the Ukrainian the Ukrainazis, the Ukrainian armed forces are shelling the Donetsk, uh, the city of Donetsk, or the, I'm sorry, the the Donetsk region the most right now. Like they're shelling them, they're killing civilians. Like a lot of this is coming out. You know, we even had Amnesty International release a report that said Ukraine was guilty of war crimes. Okay. And crimes against humanity for false flags. Okay, so that's that's a pretty big deal when you have like a pretty much like a far left NGO, non-governmental organization like Amnesty International. That's all about getting, you know, you know, Amnesty International is going to be big on uh, forcing America to give all of the millions and millions and millions of uh, illegal immigrants that came into America to get like a pathway to nationalization or to citizenship or whatever. So that's the kind of that's the kind of NGO that Amnesty International is, you know, but for Amnesty International to admit that the Ukraine, see, there I go with the Ukraine, that Ukraine is responsible for war crimes and crimes against humanity. 
that's saying something, you know, could that be perhaps the, uh, the signal that the tide is turning on Ukraine? You know, when you think about it, maybe that's the reason why Nancy Pelosi went over to Taiwan so that she could strike up a war between uh, China and America so they could take all the heat off of everything that's being exposed in Ukraine, you know? Uh, Or or maybe she just went over there because her husband was arrested and he couldn't go make deals with all of the peoples that he needed to, you know, uh, um, boost up their their stocks and stuff like that. But uh, at this point, it's going to be all about diversion for uh for the uh the the democrats and and their nazi supporters uh zelensky has no way out of this you know and uh he he's probably getting worried that they're gonna turn on him they being the globalist masters that have been puppeteering him they being nato and uh and the united states deep state department you know like uh, victoria newland anthony blinken Uh, Maybe they're starting to serve him a cold shoulder. You know, maybe they're starting to serve him a cold shoulder. Uh, But in any regards, uh, despite all of the exposure that's happening about uh, Ukraine being corrupt, the the, the nationalist um, um, Ukro-Nazis and also... Also, uh, uh, the war crimes and the crimes against humanity, uh, that does not prevent, ladies and gentlemen does not prevent illegitimate Joe from uh, handing over another $100 billion worth of defense aid to this, uh, to this prostitute, Zelensky, in the name of the American people. That's right. Well, actually, you know, at this point, I think it's our grandchildren's grandchildren who will be paying for the slaughter of innocent Ukrainians, right? They'll be paying... For the weapons that we sent to this monster, for everything that he has done to uh, to uh, destroy his own nation, destroy his own people, yeah, yeah, our grandchildren's grandchildren will be paying for it at this point. Because like we're like what? How many trillions of dollars of debt do we have uh, that are uh, that's attached to our good name? So yeah, so yeah, we got uh, we got uh, illegitimate Joe handing over another billion dollars in military aid to Ukraine today, authorized today, right? And uh, you can see that this guy here is just drunk with uh, power, happiness, and a lot of money. And a lot of that money, we don't know where it's going. We don't know where that money is going. But as for the weapons of war, okay, that NATO and their allied nations and the United States of America, as far as the weapons of war that we are sending to Ukraine, We know a lot of that's being destroyed by the Russian military forces, Uh, but a new new report just came out that shows that um, only about 30% of the weapons that we send to Ukraine are actually making it to the front lines to assist in fighting the Russian forces, right? Maybe, you know, the reason for that probably is uh, the reason why only 30% is heading over there, because probably that's all about the amount of army that Ukraine has left, right? They're like, if we send the whole 100%, well, we'll just have a whole bunch of weapons uh, just lying around here with no one to actually use them. Yeah, maybe that's a reasoning that they can go with on that one, right? But we know that aside from those reasons, it's a little bit more corrupt than that. So let's take a look at this uh, article here. It's coming out of RT. 
Uh, it says here, 70% of Western weapons sent to Ukraine do not reach the troops, according to CBS. Wait, what, what, what? We have a lamestream, mainstream, shamestream, fake news, propaganda, um, a Mockingbird legacy media outlet admitting some truth? Hmm. Let's see what the article says. With the United States and its allies pledging unprecedented levels of military support to Ukraine, a recent CBS News report suggested that only around 30% of the weapons sent by the West actually make it to the front lines. The report adds to ongoing rumors of waste, corruption, and black market profiteering. Mm-hmm. Waste, because they get bombed off by the uh, the uh, Russian military forces. Corruption, because uh, probably everyone's taking their own share, divvying up the weapons to take off where they want to. So send, send them to some terrorists in, uh, in another region, in another country, you know? And then, of course, the black market profiteering, that is just another form of corruption. The United States has approved more than 54 billion... $54 billion, $54 billion hard-earned American taxpayer dollars of economic and military aid to Ukraine since February, while the United uh, Kingdom has committed nearly $3 billion in military aid alone, and the European Union has spent another $2.5 billion on arms for Kiev. An entire spectrum of equipment, from rifles and grenades to anti-tank missiles and multiple launch rocket systems, have left the West's armories for Ukraine, with most entering the country through Poland. However, this rarely goes smoothly, CBS News re revealed this week. All of this stuff goes across the border, and then something happens, kind of like 30% of it reaches its final destination. Jonas Omen, the founder of a Lithuania-based organization supplying the Ukrainian military, told the American network. Omen said that getting the weapons to the troops involves navigating a complex network of power lords, oligarchs, and political players. The new CBS report's uh, documentary, Arming Ukraine, explores why much of the billions of dollars of military aid that the U.S. is sending to Ukraine does not make it to the front lines. There is really no information as to where they're going at all. Donatella Rovera, a senior crisis advisor with Amnesty International, told CBS, What is really worrying is that some countries that are sending weapons do not seem to think that it is their responsibility to put in place a very robust oversight mechanism. Ukraine insists that it tracks each and every weapon that crosses its borders with Yuri Sack. Yuri Sack, just kidding, Yuri Sack, an advisor to Defense Minister Alexei Reznikov, telling the Financial Times last month that reports to the contrary could be part of Russia's information war to discourage international partners from providing Ukraine with weaponry. Really? Okay. Okay. I guess, right? So, um, yeah. Ukraine insists that it's Russia. This is Russian, this is Russian propaganda. It's Russian propaganda that only 30% uh, make it to the front lines. I'm sure, right? I'm sure that uh, you don't have uh, Zelensky's henchmen down there uh, divvying up all of, the, uh, all of the weapons cache, right? 
However, some officials in the West have sounded alarm bells. A United States intelligence source told CNN in April that Washington has almost zero idea what happens to these arms, describing the shipments as dropping into big black holes once they enter into Ukraine. Canadian sources said last month that they have no idea where their weapons deliveries actually end up. Europol has claimed that some of these weapons have ended up in the hands of organized crime groups in the European Union, while the Russian government has warned that they are showing up in the Middle East. Oh, oh, maybe they're showing up in the Middle East so they can continue to try and overthrow uh, President Bashir al-Assad. You know, maybe they're showing up in the Middle East to further uh, arm the uh, ISIS uh, terrorists. Hmm? Hmm? An investigation by RT in June found online marketplaces where sophisticated Western hardware, such as Javelin and NLAW, NLAW anti-tank systems, or Phoenix Ghost, and Switchblade explosive drones were apparently being sold for pennies on the dollar. Ukraine is consistently ranked as one of the most corrupt countries in the world, scoring 122 over 180 on Transparency International's 2021 Corruption Perceptions Index, where 180 represents the most corrupt and zero the least. In Washington, drawing attention to this corruption is frowned upon by both parties in Congress. I wonder why, you know... When they say both parties, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, does that, does that say anything to anybody? You know, Representative Victoria Spartz, a Ukrainian-born lawmaker, has reportedly been cautioned by her colleagues and the White House for suggesting that Congress should establish proper oversight of its weapons shipments due to the alleged corruption within Volodymyr, not Vladimir, come on, RT, Volodymyr Zelensky's government. If you provide supplies or a logistics pipeline, there has got to be some organization to it, right? Andy Milburn, a retired U.S. Marine colonel, told CBS, if the ability to which you're willing to be involved uh, in that stops at the Ukrainian border, the surprise isn't, oh, all this stuff isn't getting to where it needs to go. The surprise is that people actually expected it to. Yeah, that's another good point, right? You know, if you're saying like, oh, I want to I want to I want to help the Ukrainians. Let's let's give them some arms. Wouldn't you want to make sure they're getting it? Wouldn't you make sure it's going to actually defending uh, that which you uh, believe in? Similar scenarios have played out in the world's war zones before with devastating consequences. We saw a lot of weapons come in 2003 with the U.S. led invasion of Iraq. Rovera told CBS, and then 2014 happened when ISIS took over large parts of the country and took over large stocks of weapons that had been meant for Iraqi forces. Similarly, U.S. forces invading Afghanistan in 2001 faced fighters whose predecessors had been armed by the United States in the 1980s. When the United States finally withdrew from Afghanistan in 2021, oh, 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 we withdrew, right? We withdrew. We didn't, you mean we didn't run with our tails between our legs or what? The Taliban was left to claim billions of dollars worth of military equipment that was left behind. This gear had been intended for the Afghan military. 
Although reports from more than a decade ago suggested that weapons, vehicles, and aid regularly disappeared in Afghanistan before ever reaching their end users. In Syria, United States weapons intended for use by so-called moderate rebels. That's right, guys. They're not moderate rebels that we're backing in Syria. We're training terrorists to overthrow a sovereign nation. Okay? And keep that in mind, right? Ended up in the hands of ISIS and al-Nusra jihadists, while arms sold to Saudi Arabia ended up seized by Houthi rebels in Yemen. Mikhail Podilak, an advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, said on Sunday that there is no proof that weapons entering his country are unaccounted for. Russia seeks to discredit Ukraine in the eyes of Western societies with allegations about black market of weapons. He added in an apparent effort to accuse CBS and others of doing Moscow's bidding. Oh, how how funny is that, right? How convenient, right? If CBS reports on a story like this, all of a sudden they're a Russian bot agency. Hmm. Funny how that works, right? As if though it were a catch-all. You know, so but one really has to wonder, though, with the um, with the um, the entire operation still happening in Ukraine, how much longer is it going to happen? You know, uh, for how much longer will this um, operation continue? You know, because like I said, uh, most of the fighting now is centered in Donbass. All right. I, and I don't know that that's because they haven't gotten rid of all of them. But apparently, you know. It seems like these Nazis, they just keep on coming out of the woodwork. They just keep on multiplying. Of course, at this rate, uh, it's probably like, it's probably NATO forces that they're fighting. And, you know, they just, they just cover and say it's still Ukraine. I mean, I heard something like over 300,000 uh, Ukrainian soldiers, whatever they are underneath that blanket name, whether they're just uh, Nazi battalions or they're uh, they're um, uh, a war war hog fighters from other nations, foreign foreign fighters, right, coming in. Whatever three hundred thousand is, over three hundred thousand have been reported to have died. But uh, get this, guys, get this. Uh, President Zelensky swears that they will turn the tide by winter. Okay, winter, they will turn the tide by winter. Okay, it's still the heat of summer. All right. And he's not even talking about ending the war, winning the war, but uh, turning the tide. You know, they need to get out of Ukraine. They need to just quickly, you know, I get these Nazis. They just keep coming out of the woodwork. Uh, it says here, Ukraine's leadership seeks to turn the tide of the military campaign against Russia by the winter. Chief of the Ukrainian Presidential Office Andrei Yermak announced on Thursday, it's crucial not to let the Russians protract the war, Kiev's term for Russia's special military operation in Ukraine. Uh, do not allow them to protract the war with us until this winter. President of Ukraine Volodymyr Zelensky is in a serious mood and is ready to do his utmost so that we will liberate our territories as soon as possible. Yermak wrote on his Telegram channel. A lot depends on how our fighters are trained. We will turn the tide of this war. There will be a lot of surprises soon. Uh, Russian President Vladimir uh, Vladimir's, uh, Putin uh, announced on February 24th that in response to a request uh, by the heads of the Donbass republics for assistance. So 
That's just a quick reprisal of why we are where we are right now. So uh, yeah, yeah, we have them wanting to end this by the winter time or turn the tide. And they say there's going to be a lot of surprises. There's going to be a lot of surprises, you know? I mean, what? More false flags, right? Uh, more Russia is killing and raping boys, children, and women. Is that what we're... Was that a surprise there? Is that going to... All of a sudden, you're gonna, they're going to pull up something out of their butt or something like that, you know? Well, no, no. It's probably going to be a continued shelling of the Donbass by uh, the Ukrainians and their Nazi forces. Um, so Russia is warning of another false flag in the Donetsk region, you know, because currently what do we have going on here? We had, uh, we had, um, in the, uh, what, what is the name of that region? If I can remember it, the, the Zaporzhizhi, Zaporzhizhi, uh, where we have a nuclear power plant that's been the topic of conversation. Uh, where we have Ukraine shelling the area around this power plant. Uh, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, this has been one of those tactics that the Ukrainazi forces of the Ukraine armed military or armed forces, their military, have been wanting to do. Why do you think they secured Chernobyl so quickly? Once the operation started, the Russians went in, they secured Chernobyl because you figure... This is, this is on par with all terrorists and all Nazis, ladies and gentlemen, on par. They, they will attempt to hold the world hostage, hold their opposition hostage by blowing up a nuclear power plant, right? Like if, uh, if, you, if I can't have it, no one will, right? Let's go and just destroy the world. So, uh, and we've seen that through and through, you know, even in other places where we have uh, Western-backed terrorists, trying to overthrow sovereign nations. They saw this in Syria, okay? They saw this in Iraq. You know, they saw this in Afghanistan. You know, wherever the, wherever the shadow of the United States of America and, uh, and their deep state allies and NATO go, you see, you see this type of activity, okay? You see, uh, you see them using innocent civilians as human shields. You see them hiding their weapons and operating out of civilian areas, okay? That's on par with what we see from these Western-backed terrorist groups. And I, I would include the United Armed Forces of Ukraine at this point as one of those terrorist groups. Uh, let's take a look at this warning. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com, that's www.thecreport.com, and be sure to follow us on our social medias, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Pilt.net. Uh, this is coming to us from a TASS news agency out of Madarasha, Ukrainian army preparing false flag operation near Sly Slavyansk, top brass says. What's it all about here? Slavyansk, Donetsk, 
the Ukrainian armed forces prepare another false flag operation entailing civilian casualties outside Slavyansk in the Donetsk People's Republic to pin the blame for indiscriminate strikes on Russian troops. K Colonel General Mikhail Mizintsev, chief of Russia's National Defense Management Center, said this on Saturday. It is reliably known that the uh, command of the Ukrainian Armed Forces through the 72nd Center for Information and Psychological Operation are staging another large-scale provocation involving civilian fatalities as a result of alleged indiscriminate strikes by the Russian Armed Forces. Uh, and this, uh, this uh, Colonel General Mikhail Mizintsev um, heads the Russian Joint Coordination Headquarters for Humanitarian Response in Ukraine. He goes on to say, For its implementation, mortar crews uh, have been deployed outside Slavyansk, the, Don the Donetsk People's Republic, which are planned to shell the locations where the local population and refugees live. Uh, Geologichanskaya Street, Okay, so they're planning to they're planning to strike Geo Geologichanskia Street, and uh, that would be uh, that uh, that would be on August seventh, two thousand twenty-two, when humanitarian aid is handed out. Oh, so this would have happened yesterday, huh? According to the general, foreign journalists arrived in the city to take photos and shoot videos about the alleged civilian killings by Russians, and then publish them in the Ukrainian and Western media. We are warning the world community and international organizations in advance about the cynical provocation being prepared by the Ukrainian authorities. Civilians may suffer in it, while the Kiev regime will blame the Russian armed forces for civilian deaths following a well-tested scenario, the general said. Huh. So that's quite interesting there. Let me go ahead and make uh, take a record of that real quick. So yeah, and that's indeed something that we've seen through and through this entire since since this operation began, guys, with the uh, with the propaganda, with the false flags, and all of that. Uh, you know, think of Bucha. You know, think of uh, think of uh, some of the uh, Kramatorsk, right? Kramatorsk was another area where this happened. I'm very curious to see if they actually had this happening there. Because after all, um, when was this? When did this story come out? Uh oh! Uh oh! Uh oh! Spaghettio! I feel a freeze up coming on. There we go. So this was on August sixth. So a day prior. Okay. Uh, and I have this article here. I found from Telesur. Telesur. Telesur English, Ukraine shells residential areas of Donetsk to blame Russia. Well, that was published on July 3rd, so that's an old story. We already know this. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It does mention Sl Slavyansk, though. It says, in uh, Slavyansk, Donetsk People's Republic, the Ukrainian armed forces carried out sh uh, artillery shelling of residential areas and the Slavyansk food factory on June 30th, okay, in order to blame Russia for extermination of the uh, civil civilian population of Ukraine and uh, to get rid of their food supply. I think we actually talked about that one in our last update on the uh, Russia-Ukraine um, um, uh, skirmish, if you want to call it that. 
probably not the best thing to call it, but uh, interesting, interesting. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, focus here, Mr. C. Focus, right? Let's see what's going on real quick. Hey, the Speak Uneasy. What's going on? Good to see you, sir. Glad to have you joining us over there in your neck of the woods. Uh, okay. Let's see what else we got here next. Okay. So speaking of false flags, right? Speaking of false flags, speaking of these operations, speaking of the propaganda, um, there was a mention of the psychological operations units from Ukraine, uh, in, uh, in this article, right? Yep. That's right. Ukraine has them also. Ukraine also has their own psychological operations department. Okay. So I was like rather interested when I stumbled across this article that I'm about to share with you guys that really kind of goes into what this is all about. Yeah, that's right. They have their own version of anonymous over there in Ukraine. And it wouldn't, it would not surprise me, honestly, if like all of those billions of dollars that, you know, we are sending over to Ukraine, a lot of it's going into the staging, the setup to hiring people, right? I'm pretty sure that people get paid a pretty penny to go and stage and do their little, be their little crisis actors. And it seems that in addition to having the intelligence about these, um, uh, these false flags occurring, another way to kind of, you know, uh, read the, read the tea leaves there is when you have a sudden contingent of large Western reporters show up to any one area to document something, there's probably going to be a false flag there, right? <laughs> There's probably going to be a false flag. Oh, geez, Louise, we got a lot going on over here. Let me see what's going on in the chat room real quick before we get into this story. Hey, Raven2000, what's going on? Good to see you this evening, Raven. Queen Peckerwood, hello and welcome, welcome, welcome back. Sazzy Q, pew, pew, pew. How's it going, sweetie? Good to have you back and good to see you again this Monday evening. Glad to, hope you guys are all doing well out there in the audience, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you all are doing well. Timberjet says, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is the largest in Europe, and the Nazis want to blow it up. Yep, there's a lot of talk about that right now. Of course, I believe even the United Nations addressed this issue in Zaporizhia um, with the nuclear power plant. Uh, of course, they did not uh, place any blame on either side. Is it Russia? Is it Ukraine? Who's really shelling it? Ukraine says it's Russia. Russia says, no, it's, it's, it's the Nazis. It's the Nazis. It, it was very interesting. Uh, this weekend, uh, I had a visit from my mother and, uh, I was explaining to her about the Nazis in Ukraine. <laughs> she didn't know what to think about that. I was like, I was like, look, mom, I was like, these are not like, you know, uh, a skinhead like youth uh, who are like uh, fantasizing about a, a white world. I was like, no, these are the ones from the 1940s that our history books never acknowledged and have been there ever since. They are literally genuine Nazis. Why do you think there are thousands of them over there? Not just like, oh, there's like 13 Nazis over in Ukraine running amok. No, there's tens of thousands of Nazis of white nationalists in that region because they've been breeding since the 1940s, y'all. You heard me. They've been breeding since the 1940s. Okay, there's thousands of them, not just a, not just a few of them, not just like a little. There's thousands of them, okay? Thousands of them. And uh, last note from Timbuchet, Ukraine has been using cluster mines on Donetsk since 2014. 
Nothing new, but still just as crappy. Yes, indeed. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the um, the butterfly mines. Butterfly mines, ladies and gentlemen. They're these little, tiny little devices that look like, you know, uh, something with wings on it. And they're just throwing them everywhere. You know, uh, these these Ukro Nazis, these nationalists in uh, in Ukraine. I mean, absolutely no mercy. No love. Of course, they have no love, but, you know, they're just, uh, they're terrible. They're terrible. So let's talk about Ukraine's Department of Psychological Operations, the PSYOPs, ladies and gentlemen, PSYOPs, the Info Saboteurs, how the Ukrainian Center for Informational and Psychological Operations work. Excuse me. So I guess that would be their official name here. Ukrainian Center for Informational and Psychological Operations. Hmm. Goes on to say, troll factories and entire campaigns to provoke fear and panic. This is the work of the Ukrainian Armed Forces Centers for Informational and Psychological Operations. Who has launched this hybrid warfare front? And what is its purpose? Centers of Informational and Psychological Operations, uh, here and after referred to as uh, KIPSO, C-I-P-S-O, have proved to be among the most controversial and scandalous in terms of working practices within the Ukrainian army. These centers are part of the Special Operations Forces of Ukraine. Before 2014, they were part of the Ukrainian Navy's intelligence services. Their main combat task is information and psychological sabotage in the enemy's domain. In this article, we will tell you about some large-scale operations on the territory of Russia where Ukrainian uh, SIPSOs played a role. Most of the materials used in this article appeared on the web thanks to the Ukrainian hacker group Berezhiny, which has been operating against the Kiev government since the start of the conflict in Donbass. What are these centers? It is argued that SIPSO forces had been incorporated into the armed forces of Ukraine by 2004. At the time, they were part of the Ukrainian Navy's intelligence service. For example, one center was based in Sevastopol and another in Odessa. By 2014, after the Revolution of Dignity, the centers of informational and psychological operations were transferred under the jurisdiction of the Special Operations Forces. Documents available on the web revealed that the SSO, the Special Operations Forces, has four such centers. Uh, they have the 72nd Center of Informational and Psychological Operation Military Unit A4398, often referred to as the main one, was moved from Sevastopol to Brovery in 2014. The uh, 16th Center of Informational and Psychological Operations Military Unit A1182, located in Guvja, uh, Zimtomer Zim, Zim region, uh, the 74th Center of Informational and Psychological Operations Military Unit A-1277 is located in Lviv. The 83rd Center of Informational and Psychological Operations Military Unit A-2455 based in Odessa. Each of these centers collects and an an analyzes information to discredit the enemy in the information space, create a positive image of Ukraine and the world, and prepare information and psychological diversions. 
Simply put, the main activity of the Ukrainian CISPO is to support the information front on its own territory in the enemy space and on the territory of potential partners and allies. Under NATO standards, the Ukrainian defense military trained Ukrainian officers, soldiers, and freelancers in the art of information psychological warfare using some of the world's best practices. No one makes any secret of this. For example, Alexei Arostovyuk cited in one of his interviews American text interviews American textbooks on information warfare as an example. You know, I would not doubt that they also had a copy of General Vallely's uh, Mind Warfare, right? General Vallely and the, the Satanist Michael Aquino. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they probably have a copy of that as well, right? He now works as an advisor to the head of President Zelensky's office. But for a long time before that, Aristovic served in the chief directorate of intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine. Let's see here. Aristovic explains, do you understand how information psychological warfare works? The first page in an American textbook on information psychological warfare, the first chapter, I'll just quote, the main task of an information psychological operation is to seize the agenda. That's it. After that, you can relax and do nothing. The special operations forces were established as one of the key units of the Ukrainian Navy. The Ukrainian special operations forces website presents the structure of the main units and products co copying according to an officer of the special units operations center, a similar system of units and products, which is used in the United States. As in the United States military, Ukraine has four IPSO centers. Several documents show that the classification of information pro products is also um, based on NATO standards. Uh, the United States Army, for example, <clears throat> and uh, let's see here. This is uh... oh, this is a uh, this is from an official statement. Uh, the United States Army, for example, has four teams dedicated to psychological operations. There is even a clear classification of information products: white, gray. Oh, so white. These are official statements or actions by the initiator or parties closely associated with them, okay? Uh, another classification is gray, which is when the source of information is difficult to identify. And then another classification, black, the black class is when the information comes supposedly from the enemy side, but actually plays to the advantage of the strategic interests of the initiator, who, however, refuses to accept the responsibility. Um, and that is from an excerpt of the SIPSO officer's interview to Ukrainian Week News magazine. In 2018, the uh, United Armed Forces, SSO, prepared a training manual on information operations. Many important terms are given in parallel in English. Hence, it can be inferred that the method, method, methodological framework was written according to or borrowed from the standards of similar NATO units. Russia is a special target. The manual has an entire paragraph on countering Russia, Russian propaganda and hybrid warfare. And I do not read Ukrainian, so I cannot tell you what that says. 
but this is a broadside of the SIPSO manual Russian propaganda and hybrid warfare. And that is where these uh, images are coming from that you are seeing on your screen. The new SIPSO officers were explained that their task was to counter Russian propaganda, which according to the SSO methodology is divided into four groups. For example, this is a quote from the chapter on Russian propaganda and hybrid warfare, information manipulation techniques, the Russian concept, manipulating feelings and fear, creating reality with the help of television, disabling historical memory, disabling historical memory, atmosphere of immortality, that means that a SIPSO fighter must be aware of the Russian information threat and understand how to build an effective psychological campaign to counter it. The author of the course for the UASSO is someone named D.O. Bogush. According to data disclosed by the hacker group Burgini, Denis Bogush, one of the key PR people for anti-Russian propaganda, has participated in NATO STRATCOM strategic communications conferences on countering Russian disinformation in Vilnius and in Kiev. Yeah, isn't isn't that so interesting that they have these uh, these um, uh, psychological operations leaders right working with NATO, going to their conferences, operations against Russia. Okay, so here's some um, examples of that. Telephone terrorism. CISPO's most sensitive, high-profile campaign targeting ordinary Russians bordering on crime has been mass telephone fraud. Since 2020, there has been a wave of calls across Russia, supposedly from Suburbank's security service, and then from other banks, departments of the Interior Ministry and the Federal Security Service of Russia, said... It is likely that the practice of taking money from Russians, the scammers did not shy away from scamming pensioners and the disabled who transferred the scammers their last funds, including funeral funds and money set aside for medicine, was also a training exercise in preparation for more serious tasks. How call, how call fraud and diversion centers work? The flow of telephone fraud reports in Russia has fallen sharply since the launch of the special military operation. Interesting, right? Do you think there's a correlation there that telephone fraud reports have uh, declined since the start of this military operation? The drop happened immediately after missile strikes on the main centers for information and psychological operations. Yeah, definitely a correlation, I'd say. It is interesting that similar decreases in wire fraud were recorded when there were power and internet outages in Kiev. Of course, this could simply be a coincidence. In April 2022, however, Russian law enforcement officers in the liberated city of Berdyansk, Berdyansk discovered three call centers run by fraudsters simultaneously. Apparently, the employees of the telephone battalion had left their workplaces in a hurry and had not completely destroyed, for example, job descriptions detailing the chains of actions for scamming Russian citizens and stealing money from their bank cards. Back in 2019, there were reports of telephone terrorism centers concentrated in Dnepropetrovsk. I don't even know if I can try to uh, attempt to pronounce that name. Uh, Dnepropetrovsk. <laughs> uh, Ukrainian journalist Vladislav Bovtruk 
conducted his own investigation, taking a job at one of these call centers controlled by the UAF, the United Armed Forces, Ukrainian United Armed Forces. The Russian Interior Ministry reported that the Ukrainian Armed Forces were recruiting for call centers spreading false information about mining. Two requirements included knowledge of the Russian language and a desire to take revenge on Russia. A flurry of calls to schools, kindergartens, uh, shopping centers, and public institutions with false reports of mines and bombs in 2020 appeared to have been well-orchestrated attacks to intimidate the population and sow panic. As the FSB press service repeatedly noted, most of these calls were made from Ukraine. No direct documentary evidence uh, of the involvement of Ukrainian CISPO specialists in these operations has been made public yet. However, even the Russian Central Bank notes that the activity of telephone scammers in Russia has dropped dramatically since 24 February. Sweat, Marbus, and Torch. Among other things, the Berejini hacker group released documents revealing two large-scale operations conducted by the flagship 72nd CISPO since 2020. Both Sweat Marbus, uh, Laskovia Marbus, and Torch Fakel operations targeted Russians. The objective of the psychological campaign Sweat Marbus was to spread panic and protest sentiment throughout Russia and organize rallies in major Russian cities. The CISPO staff were to conduct a set of information activities to convince Russians of the difficult socio-political and economic situation in the country. The Ukrainian specialists decided to target the politically active population of the Russian Federation aged 18 to 45. Sounds like the same age group they target to influence people into becoming members of NAMBLA, I mean, Antifa. Where'd that come from? Or, or uh, Black Lives Matter. Information was to be conveyed through opposition opinion leaders, among others. For each of the border regions, which were, which were of particular interest to the CISPO, a separate plan was prepared. Here are the basic theses used by the staff of the 72nd Center of Informational and Psychological Operations in its manuals and assignments for the actors, troll factory, cartoonists, bloggers. The Russian authorities have no experience in effective management. This leads to the economic stagnation of the state. Officials of different administrative levels take part in corruption schemes, takes bribes, and practices nepotism. The top political leadership of the Russian Federation distributes funds disproportionately among the subjects of the Federation, which leads to the tensions among the regions of the Russian Federation. So uh, those are some other talking points, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> the key thesis outlined by the CISPO within the Operation Sweet Marvis. Oh, these are photo credits. My bad. Um, let's see here. The tasks of the tactical group could have included a plan to hold anti-government rallies, uh, for example, um, for example, in 2020, there would be three rallies in Moscow, two in Khabarovsk, uh, one in Nizhnya Novgorod, and six in Yekaterinburg. Uh, various objectives of the CISPO's operations for different regions of the Russian Federation. Okay, you know what? Let me pop out of immersive because we we're missing out on a lot of data here. Okay. Sputnik, Sputnik, Sputnik. Okay. That's where this comes from. 
a lot of good resources for information that we're not getting in the West. Okay. All right. So there's uh, those um, manuals again. So that is Danish Bogish at the NATO Strategic Communications event in Vilnius. Okay. Oh, he looks kind of creepy. So here's here's one of your head psychological operators at a NATO conference. Okay. Um, okay. Telephone calls. Let's see what we're missing here. Sweat, uh, sweat Marbus. Okay. There we go. So, uh, these are their talking points that I had just read to you guys. That is Ukrainian. I cannot read it. Uh, the key thesis outlined by CISPO within the operation Sweat Marbus. I wonder why they called it Sweat Marbus. That sounds so weird to me. Uh, the key theses outlined by the CISPO within the... Okay, so these are all their theses. So they found their documents. This, I'm guessing, is leaked from that Berejini hacker group. Uh, <clears throat> now, here's where we're talking about the rallies that were held in 2020. Various objectives of CISPO's operations for different regions of the Russian Federation. Various, and that's the same thing here. Equally curious is Operation Torch, which was conducted by the CISPO at the same time. Its objective was to discredit the National Guard of Russia and police of Russia. The reasoning is more or less the same. The National Guard is inactive and not fighting crime. The National Guard uses advanced weapons and equipment against demonstrators at protest rallies. National Guard officers are corrupt. They fabricate criminal cases against law-abiding citizens. National Guard officers do not have the necessary set of professional knowledge and skills. They abuse alcohol and drugs and often end their lives by suicide. And much more. Fakes posted on anonymous websites and the uh, the Contacte social media platforms groups and Telegram channels, not without the help of a troll factory, were intended to encourage Russians to attend anti-government rallies, primarily in Moscow, St. Petersburg, Nivsnyiv, Novogorod, and Yakenterinburg. So I guess this is something you could expect to find on a uh, Russian Telegram page trying to seed... Um, uh, misinformation. Uh, such characters are also the work of Ukrainian information psychological operations personnel and those of Russian staff employed by the SIPSO. Operation Volodia and threats to the MPS. In 2021, Operation Volodia was launched in Russian regions that border Ukraine. The objective was to create distrust in the actions of both the regional and federal leadership of Russia. The 72nd Center of Informational and Psychological Operations designed and implemented the operation. This is how the tasks in the presentation of the operation were presented to the tactical group. It'd be great if we could read Ukrainian, right? The goals and objectives of Operation Volodia. The goal is to undermine confidence in the actions of the Russian military and political leadership in the border regions to build distrust in the works of regional self-governing bodies, objectives, discrediting the state authorities in the border regions of the Russian Federation, decreasing the psychological stability of Russian armed forces personnel and their families. Preferences should be given to those units that are deployed as close as possible to the border with Ukraine, creating obstacles for the work of the border service of the federal security service of the Russian Federation. However, the most curious part of the operation turned out to be the um, uh, whoops my part my bad it turned out to be the work 
with parliamentarians on the eve of the regional elections in the Voronezh region in the autumn of 2021. The SIPSO selected 10 victims from the list of candidates for the state Duma and local authorities in Voronezh region from the United Russia Party and worked out a plan to discredit their image. According to the documents, cooperation was established with the opponents of these candidates. They were to work towards their political annihilation. There's the documentary evidence in Ukrainian. Nevertheless, they did not stop at discrediting regional politicians. United Russia's opponents began receiving threats from anonymous people on social media. It looked as if the politicians were threatened by some criminal supporters of the incumbent authorities to force them to withdraw from the elections. The main targets of the operation were candidates from the Communist Party of, Russian, of the Russian Federation and all Russian political party Rodina. The texts in each message were roughly the same, prepared and distributed by the same SIPSO staff. The 72nd Center's tactical group reported on its progress that threats were sent to 20 Voronezh candidates demanding that they refuse to participate in the elections. Here is an example of such a threatening message. Greetings, Shashenka. Word has come down that you want to run for office, my friend. I would not advise you, numbskull, to get in there because we'll cut off your oxygen fast enough. If you do not follow the wind, brains, we'll find, in, find you in front of your house and dry you out like the last rooster to the tail and to the mane. And we'll catch your kin and feed them to the river fish and we'll rape them, whichever you prefer. There is nothing for you to do there, believe me. They have had their own people in power for 20 years now, and you just sit on your ass, I'm guessing it says, and or we will blow out all the hairs on your ass with a blowtorch, you beefhead. I'm sorry, these are, these are, these are kind of funny. You beefhead. I'm going to start calling people beefheads anyways. <laughs> so just, it's, just sit on your ass or we will blow out all the hairs on your ass with a blowtorch, you beefhead. <laughs> anyways, if you don't get it nicely, then your property will burn like your asshole right now reading this text. <laughs> Did they put some chili peppers in the message or what? We've broken even bigger fish in our 20 years in charge. I hope you, dumbass, will get it nicely and your loved ones will stay safe along with you. But that's not certain. Go ahead and live and watch your back. <laughs> that would be funny if someone sent a message like that. I don't know. That, oh, that's, that is a... Uh... I didn't expect us to get some fine Ukrainian humor in this uh, in this article, guys. Wow, how interesting! And uh, there you go. Everything I read is uh, basically right there in that text. <laughs> oh wait, there it is. That's funny. I mean, it's. I mean, I guess obviously, it's far more threatening if you read it in Ukrainian. But uh, the intention was uh, that the targeted candidates would talk publicly about the pressure exerted by the authorities compromising the election process in the region and driving the disgruntled into the streets. Moreover, 
The operation was intended to discredit the candidates of the United Russia Party and significantly significantly reduce their results in the elections. Now, now, now hear this America. You would you would have America first candidates receiving these types of threats, right? That is to say, the enemy or those who are commanding the psychological operations against America first candidates would have to use this tactic if they didn't have control of our machines, right? You know, if there were no machines that could flip the votes and uh, were hackable and vulnerable, and if uh, if the fourth uh, wing of this government did not select our candidates, they would pro- you we would hear a lot about this. So I received this uh, I received this message that said if you run against President Biden, they will blow all the ass hairs off my ass, and they called me a beefhead. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Let's finish up this article. Instead of an afterward cultural historical counter propaganda, okay? Uh, more of this from the hacker Berezhini in Ukraine. One cannot fail to mention the section on cultural historical counter propaganda in the same training manual for the CISPO staff. The main subparagraphs here look familiar from the agenda of the Ukrainian media. The historical aspect, the religious aspect, the manipulation of Slavicism, uh, the name Rus Ukraine, and even the rewriting of historical documents. This is all part of the method- method- methodological um, work used in information and psychological operations. These examples hardly detail all of the information psychological operations of the Ukrainian CIPSO. Only some of the matters, uh, materials and reports have been made public. Nevertheless, they all had one goal, to destabilize domestic political sentiment in Russia. And there is that, ladies and gentlemen. There is that. So a quick spotlight on uh, Ukraine's saboteurs, info saboteurs. Uh, But let's talk now about the West's media silence on what's happening in Russia. I mean, sorry, what's happening in Ukraine in regards to the Russian special military operation and why they never talk about the Nazis, right? We we get tiny little nuggets if we're lucky and we have to turn to the alternatives and the independents. And I dare say not all not all of the alternatives and independents will tackle this topic. Uh. We've been tackling it here at the Sea Report since before January. We started with the uh, we started taking on this topic uh, when uh, the Kazakhstan coup happened, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, been digging and barreling into it ever since. So uh, let let's let's continue on. Let's continue to dig and barrel into it, ladies and gentlemen. Western media: How to keep silent and write about Ukrainian Nazism. Hmm, interesting topic here, right? Goes on to say, Western media generally took a pro-Ukrainian stance during the eight-year Donbass conflict. However, there were journalists who spoke openly about the rampant neo-Nazism, the genocide against civilians, and the Ukrainian military's slaughtering of the elderly women and children. British journalist Peter Hitchens wrote in his May 21st, 2022 column for the Mail on Sunday, 
Not since the wild frenzy after the death of Princess Diana have I ever met such a wave of ignorant sentiment. Nobody knows anything about Ukraine. Everyone has ferocious opinions about it. The other night, I shocked a distinguished Oxford academic by informing her that the lovely, angelic, saintly, perfect Ukrainians had blocked off the water supply to Crimea in 2014. She was rightly shocked by this nasty, uncivilized act of spite, but it was far more shocking than this, that this highly educated person did not know this important fact. 2014, Crimea. What is it everything everyone says about that? Oh, it was it was a Russian annexation. It was a violent takeover by Russia of Crimea. And yet everyone's there living happily right since then. You hear your politicians like Barack Obama, for example, was one who would say that since Russia invaded Crimea and took it over without the people's consent, you know, just like election integrity in America. Just like the 2020 elections and the theft and the fraud, just like those topics can be used as a measuring stick, as a guidepost, as a divining rod, if you will, to figure out what side of the line the supposedly elected so-called representatives stand on, you can use Ukraine and Russia for the same purposes. You know, that's why we called out director Rat, former director Ratcliffe. John Ratcliffe, when John Ratcliffe starts talking about how Russia invaded Crimea and took it over and, and how uh, we need to save Ukraine, I'm like, Ratcliffe, whose side are you on? Did you pull the wool over my eyes? Because apparently, apparently you think we're stupid. Apparently you think that people are uninformed and ignorant and that they can just get away with this. Use it as a measuring stick, guys. Use it as a guidepost, okay, to figure out whose side these people are really on. We have midterms coming up. You know, we just went through the primaries. When midterms come up and we have this whole new wave of people, if you have one of these supposedly America first candidates that Trump endorsed start spouting off about saving Ukraine and destroying Russia and calling Russia uh, Russia propaganda, they might not be on our side. That might merit a little bit more digging. Now, am I saying that they're uh, traitors and that they're operatives? No, they might be genuinely uninformed. You know, they might be genuinely ignorant because uh, they don't care to look at what's going on in the rest of the world. They don't care to study it or try to understand it. They just go along with the current flow of information without realizing where that information is coming from which is why I would get on the independence and the alternatives about just mocking or just parroting, mocking word, right? Just parroting what international news was saying about Russia and Ukraine. And I'm like, do your homework, right? Why do you have General Valley on your program? This dude is a war criminal, right? He does not love America, even though, you know, he says, yeah, Trump needs to be the president and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, 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 Barack Obama needs to be in jail. Hillary Clinton needs to be in jail. The elections were stolen in 2020, says General Valley. It doesn't change his stripes. He's still a war criminal. He's still trained in armed terrorists to take over sovereign nations. He's still turned the Tea Party into a violently demonized group by saying he would take them to the Capitol and he would lead a violent revolution against the insurrectionists, right? You couldn't say that in 2014, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe you could, but uh, the point of the matter here is not that 
Barack Obama was an illegitimate president and they're just running America to the ground. The point is the violence aspect, okay? Demonizing the political party known as the Tea Party. And uh, I'm going to start doing a lot more digging into that Thar Tea Party, ladies and gentlemen. You know, even Paul Ryan was a member of the Tea Party at one time, right? Uh, where is he now? Hmm? Anyhow, getting distracted again. Let me uh, stay focused. Stay focused, Mr. C. The reason for this ignorance is the information vacuum that virtually the entire Western audience has found itself in since 2014. In the winter of 2013 to 2014, the Euromaidan took place in Ukraine, and the country began to descend into civil war. Western press greeted the news from Kiev with enthusiasm. One of those who did not support the Ukrainian coup and its radicals from the outset was British journalist Graham Phillips. He collected evidence about the genocide of civilians in Donbass and war crimes by the Ukrainian army and the national security forces. Graham Phillips writes, Ukrainians quite often ask me why I do not support Euromaidan. The answer is simple. My grandfathers fought against fascism during World War II. If you support Euromaidan, you support those against whom they fought. Fascism was deeply rooted in Euromaidan, and it is clear where it grew from. Under the influence of radical right parties, moderate supporters of the All-Ukrainian Union, Fatherland, and UDAR, the Ukrainian Democratic Alliance for Reform, turned to superviolence, which became the hallmark of Euromaidan. Some Western outlets did write that post-Maidan Ukraine was awash with right-wing radicals from the government to the army. In May 2018, U.S. weekly opinion journal The Nation published an op-ed by Stephen Cohen, professor emeritus in Russian studies at Princeton University and New York University, on the role of neo-Nazis in the Ukrainian crisis and United States collision, collusion, <coughs> pardon me, the United States collusion with the radicals. And uh, so Stephen Cohen writes, no less important, however, is the highly selective nature of the mainstream narrative of the new Cold War, what it chooses to feature and what it virtually omits. Among the omissions, few realities are more important than the role played by neo-fascist forces in the United States-backed Kiev-governed Ukraine since 2014. Not even many Americans who follow international news know the following, for example, that the snipers who killed scores of protesters and policemen on Kiev's Maidan Square in February 2014 thereby triggering a democratic revolution, uh, in quotations, obviously, that overthrew the elected president, Viktor Yanukovych, and brought to power a virulent anti-Russian pro-American regime. It was neither democratic nor a revolution, but a violent coup unfolding in the streets with high-level support were sent not by Yanukovych, as is still widely reported, but instead, almost certainly, by the neo-fascist organization Right Sector, an organization outlawed in Russia, and its co-conspirators. That the pogrom, 
like burning to death of ethnic Russians and others in Odessa shortly later in 2014, reawakened memories of Nazi extermination squads in Ukraine during World War II, has been all but deleted from the American mainstream narrative, even though it remains a painful and revelatory experience for many Ukrainians. And uh, that is a photo from uh, uh, one of those who was killed during the uh, Maidan Square thing. Last respects for Dmitry Nikitnyuk, who was killed in the trade union's house. The investigation has never named the perpetrators and no one has been punished so far. Putin said he's going to go after the people who who, uh, caused the um, massacre in Odessa. He said that in his statement. He's, they're going to go after them. The Azov Battalion. Oh, wait. Um, let me see. Uh, this is this statement, I think, is continuing. Yeah, the statement is continuing from this uh, Stephen Cohen guy. That the Azov Battalion of some 3,000 well-armed fighters, which has played a major combat role in the Ukrainian Civil War and now is an official component of Kiev's armed forces, is um, avowedly partially pro-Nazi, as evidenced by its regalia, slogans, and programmatic statements, and well-documented as such by several international monitoring organizations. Congressional legislation recently banned Azov from receiving any U.S. military aid, but it's likely to obtain some of the new weapons recently sent to Kiev by the Trump administration due to the country's rampant network of corruption and black markets. That is to say, when President Trump said weapons to Ukraine, those would find their way into the uh, Nazi battalions that are part of their armed forces. And uh, that is a photograph of uh, the Azov Battalion in Kiev's Sofia Square. And I guess this is a swearing-in of their recruiters, their recruits. Hmm. In the photo, fighters from the Azov Battalion take the oath of allegiance to Ukraine on St. Sophia Square in Kiev before being sent to the Donbass in 2014. The Azov Battalion has become a symbol of neo-Nazism, brutality, impunity, and lawlessness in the Donbass. The uh, stormtroop-like assaults on gays, Jews, elderly ethnic Russians, and other impure citizens are widespread throughout Kiev-ruled Ukraine, along with torchlight marches reminiscent of those that eventually inflamed Germany in the late 1920s and 1930s, and that the police and official legal authorities do virtually nothing to prevent these neo-fascist acts or to prosecute them. On the contrary, Kiev has officially encouraged them by systematically rehabilitating and even memorializing Ukrainian collaborators with Nazi German extermination pogroms and their leaders during World War II, renaming streets in their honor, building monuments to them, rewriting history to glorify them and more. And there is an example of a torch-led neo-Nazi march, probably praising Stephen Bandera, on the streets of Ukraine, 
Caption says, Ukrainian nationalist organizations take part in the torchlight processions to commemorate those who fell in the battle of Kruti. <clears throat> Continuing the statement from Stephen Cohen, or that Israel's official annual report on anti-Semitism around the world in 2017 concluded that such incidents had doubled in Ukraine and the number surpassed the tally for all the incidents reported throughout the entire region combined. By the region, the report meant the total in all of Eastern Europe and all former territories of the Soviet Union. Americans cannot be faulted for not knowing these facts. They are very rarely reported and still less debated in the mainstream media, whether in newspapers or on television. Another touch to the portrait of the Ukrainian army. In September 2018, a Ukrainian internet-based television channel, uh, Roma, Ro Romadotsk, told about the Norwegian Jochim Furholm. Jochim Furholm, a Norwegian national, came to Ukraine at the end of spring this year. He signed a contract with the armed forces and went to fight in the Donbass. But a month later, the military suddenly and without explanation terminated the agreement, expelling him from the zone of military operations. Furholm is convinced that this was done at the request of Norway, since from the age of 15, he has been on the register of their special services for his ultra-right nationalistic views. Furholm has been accused of Nazism, has a criminal record, and says that he respects Norwegian terrorists Anders Breivik, who committed the brutal 2011 attacks that killed 77 people in Norway. The TV channel cited one of his quotes in which he, a mercenary born to fight, admitted that the war gives him joy, speaking enthusiastically about the clashes in the village of uh, Novgorodovsky in the Donetsk region. Before that, I had never been to war. More than that, I had never served in the army, but I always felt I was born to fight. War is not for everyone, but neither is civilian life. To be honest, I thought it would be worse in Donbass, but when I arrived at the front and the shelling began, I felt happy. They are shooting at us with artillery. Everything around us is exploding. They're screaming, blood, commotion, and I'm smiling. It was there in the trench that I finally felt at home. Friends called me Jarl. That's a title of the Vikings. The company there loved me, probably because I'm a foreigner, Furholm said. In November 2020, British daily The Guardian directly called the Azov Battalion a neo-Nazi group. Azov Battalion and Misanthropic Division appear to be trying to export their ideology to the West, with reports of links between the latter and like-minded groups such as the proscribed, uh, proscribed UK terrorist organization National Action. The uh, Sufan Center, an anti-terrorism think tank, estimates that 10 foreign fighters from the United Kingdom have served with Ukrainian militia-like Azov Battalion, which uses slick propaganda videos in the manner of extremist groups as, such as the Islamic State, an organization outlawed in Russia. Earlier, 
United States journalist and blogger Max Blumenthal wrote about Azov neo-Nazis encouraged by the United States. In 2018, he published a study about the Azov's contacts with the United States military. According to the author, overseas military inspectors... Uh, uh, overseas inspectors visited the Azov Battalion, known as a bastion of neo-Nazism in the ranks of the United Armed Forces. Uh, in November 2017, to discuss logistics and a deepening cooperation, an Azov fighter cited by Blumenthal told United States journalists that American instructors and volunteers worked closely with his battalion. U.S. officers met with the Azov commanders for two months to train and provide other assistance. In 2021, the U.S. news magazine Vice World News published the testimony of a far-right extremist from Sweden, Mikhail Skilt, about Maidan-era Ukraine. Skilt arrived in Kiev in February 2014, just days after President Viktor Yanukovych was ousted from power during Ukraine's uprising. Skilt, at the time, a notorious neo-Nazi with a 20-year history in the extreme right scene, had been drawn to the revolution out of the desire to be part of something bigger than his life at home. Like many far-right radicals across the world, he'd been inspired by the prominent role that Ukrainian ultranationalists and far-right hooligans had played at the sharp end of the Euromaidan protests and wanted to support their cause. Uh, and we have a picture here of Azov Battalion neo-Nazi fighters as they take their oath and they wave their Azov flag, their Azov flag, and uh, their inverted wolf's angle, which was a symbol used by the Nazis. It says here, "I saw history in the making. Who does not want to be part of that history?" The decision would eventually result in Skilt becoming part of a wave of far-right foreign, uh, foreign fighters, numbering in the thousands, according to estimates, that would join the subsequent war in Ukraine and who fought on both the Ukrainian and Russian sides of the conflict. They came for various reasons, seeking adventure, status, or military training, and would leave with combat experience and international ties that make them a concerning extremist threat, according to experts. This flow of far-right fighters, they say, has made Ukraine a hub of transnational white supremacist networks with a strident fascist underground that continues to attract and inspire radicals from around the world. In May 2021, the Portuguese Publico also wrote about Ukrainian neo-Nazis. The, the newspaper cited a United States expert professor of practice and director at the Center on Terrorism, Extremism, and Counterterrorism at Middlesbury Institute of International Studies at Monterey and senior advisor at the Sufan Center, Jason Blazakis. I see Ukraine as a place where the ultra-right can get training, receive military and ideological support. In many ways, Ukraine for the ultra-right is the same as Syria was for ISIS. And again, the editor of Sputnik uh, emphasizes that ISIS is a terrorist organization that is banned in Russia. Ukraine is a backdoor to the, to the EU, which the far right has taken notice of, and the threat is undeniable. The militants train on the battlefields of Ukraine and then return to their home countries. Ew. 
There is a photograph of, um, let's see here, a self-defense fighter of the Donetsk People's Republic in Crimea shows burns he allegedly suffered in captivity as a result of tortures by Ukrainian security services. So uh, this this dude fights for the, uh, uh, well, actually the West, the United States, calls them um, um, Russian-backed separatists, but this was someone who was fighting for the sovereignty of the Donetsk and was also fighting to stop the genocide of his people. Captured by Ukrainian forces is branded with a swastika. Let's see here. Uh, next says, uh, this was what the Polish Missile Polska published in the same 2021 paper. Today, one need, to, one need not convince anyone that hopes for the formation of a normal state in Ukraine have not been fulfilled and that nationalism has been able to strengthen and begin to spread in those state institutions and in those regions where it did not exist before. Bandera slogans and marches have already become part of official ceremonies in the Ukrainian army. Those who condoned the revival of the Bandera ideology, or even approved of it, apparently thought that they would be able to control it and use it for one purpose, mobilization against Russia. And again, Bandera is the Nazi collaborator from Ukraine that assisted in the slaughter of thousands of Jewish Ukrainians and other Ukrainian people in the 1940s. And again, this is something that we never hear about in our history books. Who knew that the Nazi force expanded into Ukraine from Germany? Who knew that they had their own, uh, you know, uh, their own contingents in that nation? Who would have known, you know, when we're talking about the end of the Nazis and we're talking about, you know, the Nuremberg trials and we're talking about the death of Hitler, no one talks about the Nazis in Ukraine. No one went after the Nazis in Ukraine. They've been there ever since. And this is why we are where we are today. Okay. Totally, totally left out of the history books, ladies and gentlemen, totally left out of the history books. The facts of the genocide that Ukraine is carrying out against the civilian population of Donbass have hardly ever reached the pages of the foreign media. One can gather the exceptions in bits and pieces. One example is an interview with Olga Sidorenko. And uh, God rest her soul, she died recently. Uh, she's a resident of the village of Okhtyabarsky, a gray zone in Donbass, published in the Czech newspaper Halo Novini. This is how Olga recalls the first Ukrainian shellings. I will never forget that day, May 26, 2014. We were, we were excused from work early at 11 a.m. Another batch of medication was not expected and I was let go. Uh, little Arina was in daycare, so I decided to pick her up early and um, bought some strawberries. It was a warm, sunny day that I wanted to spend with the kids. I picked up my daughter, took her home, and then all hell broke loose. There were planes flying, fighter jets, helicopters shooting. My son had not come home from school yet, and our school was not far from home. Uh, his school was not far from home. All his classmates had long since gone home. The last bell of the elementary school was over, and he still was not there. He knew I was at work, so he took his time. He stopped by to visit his godmother, and that's on the other end of the city. 
The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report and thanks y'all i did not know it at the time i was running between school and home not knowing where he was meanwhile a war was breaking out all around me suddenly i saw him and together we quickly ran toward the house a ukrainian helicopter appeared above us and started shooting at our feet i did not see anyone fall but they were shooting at the feet of the fleeing civilians. My child was running with eyes full of terror. Mom, is this war? I dragged him home, and at the very moment, one of the helicopters was shot down. We came home, and my daughter, who had just turned two, was screaming with fear in such a heartbreaking way that I will never forget it in my life. She had never screamed like that. It was terrifying. After those events, my son, Fyodor who was barely 10 years old at the time, contracted the most severe form of psoriasis because of the stress he endured. He will have this disease for the rest of his life. Even before the announcement of the denazification of Ukraine, some global media and independent journalists had written about what had really been going on all these years. However, these publications did not provoke any logical reaction from the world community concerning the revival of the misanthropic ideology and genocide against the Russian-speaking population. It turned out to be just the opposite. The Western community conveniently ignored neo-Nazis as long as possible. Now it is more and more difficult to do so every day. What a story, ladies and gentlemen. What a story. And indeed, yeah. How on earth, you know, we have what? Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, John Cornyn, all of them going over to Ukraine to shake hands with uh, that prostitute Zelensky and to support the Nazis. Think about that, y'all. Now, if general public America, the ones who are asleep, the ones that post the Ukraine flag on all their social medias to virtue signal, if they knew about this, how do you think they would feel? I just want them to know, ladies and gentlemen. I just want them to know. Okay, I don't care how they react, but I want them to know. All right. Okay, we're going to wrap up tonight's Sea Report and also this update on what's happening in the Donbass region as part of the Russia special military operation into Ukraine uh, with some stories of referendums, okay? Referendums, you say? What's a referendum? 
Uh, okay, well, I'll explain to you guys the referendums while I reset my clock here, because we're going into a little bit of overtime now. Actually, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have the referendums, and then we'll have one more story after that. How about that? I think you guys will find some humor in the last story for tonight, uh, post-referendum talk. So, okay, do you remember how we keep saying that the Crimea was a referendum, not an annexation? The Crimeans held a referendum to be separated from Ukraine and to be part of Russia. Referendum basically boils down to a vote. It's a vote of the people uh, to exit one nation and uh, join another. Now, if that's the uh, if that's the uh, textbook dictionary uh, definition of referendum, probably not. Okay, but a referendum. Okay, so we're seeing here now news from Ukraine that several regions are seeking a referendum. Now, Crimea has its referendum, you know, Crimea has its referendum and uh, they become part of Russia. Of course, you have Ukraine, Ukrainians and the neo-Nazis, the far-right um, na- ultra-nationalists. That's why Odessa happens, you know, that's why they're cutting off the water to Crimea, you know. In fact, it has been said that they intend to recapture Crimea, okay? They intend to recapture Crimea. Russia has to send troops to Crimea to protect the lawmakers because these far-right extremists are trying to assassinate them to prevent the referendum from going through. The referendum goes through, but history, according to the victors, writes uh, writes that story and says that it was a violent annexation and invasion by Russia which totally discredits the idea that the people are the ones who made this decision. In the end, it was like, what, 85 to 90% of Crimeans wanted to separate from Ukraine and be part of Russia again. Russia, uh, Ukra- uh, Crimea area was historically Russian anyways. And uh, then we have some more referendums. Do you know which referendums those were? The referendums were, were in 2008, okay? And that was the referendums of the... I'm sorry, I take it back. 2014. 2008 was Crimea. I mean, yeah. So 2014, we have the Donbass region. Exactly the reason why this special military operation is happening today, okay? Now, now, how do you think the Kiev regime figured out that uh, the People's Republic of the Donetsk and the People's Republic of the Luhansk wanted to separate from Ukraine? They held a referendum, okay? So the Donbass people hold a referendum to separate from Ukraine, okay? Here's the catch, though. They wanted to be part of Russia. But Russia said, no, we cannot have you join our federation, but we would recognize you as sovereign nations. Why do you think Russia did that? Obviously, it was because all of the flack that they received from allowing Crimea to return to the Russian federation, and all of the bad speak and all of the misinformation and lies that was spread by the West since then. So the Donbass holds a referendum. The Luhansk and the Donetsk regions vote to separate from Ukraine. They can't be part of Russia, so they're going to become their own sovereign nations. And then the genocide starts. And then the Kiev regime attacks. And then the Azov Battalion and all the other Nazi battalions go in and start killing the people who are Russian-speaking and Russian-supporting ruthlessly. That goes on for eight years. Okay. Now we have the special military operation. 
And now we have more regions of Ukraine who are seeking referendum. The first one we'll talk about is the Kherson region of Ukraine. And they are moving towards a referendum. This, this uh, image you see here on the screen, that spells Kherson in Ukrainian, okay, in case you're wondering. So Kherson region may follow in Crimea's footsteps, say authorities. So they're wanting to separate from Ukraine. I mean, what's going to happen after this, right? Like, it kind of makes you wonder um, if they're going to blame Russia on another annexation, right? Russian-backed separatists in the Kherson region. Russian-backed separatists in this region and that region. No, they don't want to be part of your stinking Nazi government, Zelensky and the Ukrainian regime. Go take your far-right ultra-nationalist beliefs and stuff them, you know? Says here, the authorities of the Kherson region believe that the territory will most possibly decide to follow in Crimea's footsteps with respect to the idea of reunification with Russia. The deputy chief of the Kherson region's military civilian administration, Kirill Stremosov, told the media on the sideline on the sidelines of the 15th International Festival Great Russian World in Yalta on Tuesday. The leader of the Republic of Crimea, Sergei Aksyonov, previously stated that Crimea in 2014 chose its own path of reunification with Russia. The liberated territories of Donbass and Ukraine will most likely use other solutions for integration with the Russia in accordance with their special features. The ideology of attitude towards people should have an explicit humanitarian dimension, including the systematic work of all organizations, which we demonstrate in Crimea today. After all, under Ukrainian rule, I always heard that everything was bad in Crimea. But when people visit, visit it from time to time and see the changes that have taken place over eight years, not just the new roads, but in terms of the quality of life, of course, they feel that Crimea is an example worth following. True, the LPR and the DPR have their own histories, but Crimea, as we say, is the best way of returning to the home harbor. In all likelihood, the Kyrgyzstan region will follow in Crimea's footsteps. Earlier, Stremosov said that the authorities of the Kyrgyzstan region intended to initiate a motion in the near future in favor of joining Russia in the capacity of a full-fledged constituent territory of the Federation. He explained that the authorities were not yet working out the mechanisms of admission to Russia because now they were entirely focused on addressing the residents' day-to-day -day issues. On Tuesday, he said that the Kherson region was likely to make a decision on joining Russia in a referendum. Then, elections to the legislative bodies of power will follow. So one other story backing that up. This one's more recent. Preparations for referendum well underway in the Kyrgyzstan region, says official. Preparations for a referendum on uh, accession to uh, Russia are well underway in the Kyrgyzstan region. Deputy head of the Regional Military Civilian Administration, Kirill Strasmovov, told TASS. We continue preparations for the referendum. Work is underway across the region. Polling stations are being set up. The regional authorities have not set a date for the uh, plebiscite yet, head of the regional military civilian administration Vladimir Saldo said on Monday. 
Stresmavov earlier told TASS that the regional authorities supported the Saporizhia region's idea to hold the referendum on the same day. So that's two regions now listed here that will go into referendum. That is the Kyrgyzstan region and that is the Zaporizhia region, uh, where we were talking about the nuclear power plant that's being shelled by the Ukrainians will happen as well. And they want to hold them on the same day, which is very interesting. Now, uh, as far as Zaporizhia and its referendum, uh, let's talk about that. Oh, forgot I have this one. Here's how the West is spinning, uh, spinning this referendum so far, okay? Uh, I'm not going to read the article, but I'll give you the headline. Uh, it says here that Russian forces seek to buy votes in staged referendum for 10,000 rubles per each in the Kherson region. So that's one of your spins right there. Now, you can already forecast another spin will be um, that uh, Putin invaded Ukraine. They, uh, they violently stole the Donbass region. And then they also took Kherson and they also took the Zaporizhia region. Okay. I mean... In addition to Crimea, right? I actually saw a, an illustration that I thought was pretty interesting about what Ukraine will look like by the time this is all over. I should have saved it, but uh, it was interesting. Okay, so the Zaporizhia region of Ukraine will also be seeking a referendum. Actually, they're not seeking it. They've already declared it, okay? So where uh, the Kyrgyzstan region was kind of like, yeah, we want to. Okay, it's underway. The Zaporizhia region declared they will have a referendum. Article goes this way. Ukrainian region announces vote on joining Russia. Zaporizhia region will, fall, will hold a referendum on whether to secede from Ukraine and request joining Russia. The head of its administration announced this on Monday. Um, Ev Evgeny Balitskia said that he had signed an order to organize the plebiscite during a regional forum held in the city of Melitopol. Over 700 representatives from various parts of the Ukrainian region approved the idea, according to RIA Novosti. Earlier comments by administration officials indicated the referendum may be held as soon as mid-September. Russian forces took partial control of the region during the initial offensive against Ukraine launched in late February. The eponymous city, eponymous city, located in the north of the region of the Dnieper River, remains under Ukrainian control. Officials in Kyrgyzstan region, another Russia-controlled part of Ukraine, voiced similar plans to put a vote um, to, to a vote, the proposal of breaking away from Kiev and seeking to join Russia. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on Sunday reiterated a warning that if the two regions go through with their plans, Kiev will break off all talks with Russia. Moscow, in response, suggested that the Ukrainian president should address the citizens of those regions. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov uh, commented on Monday, The thing is, this is what the residents of the region plan. It's not like we, Russia, are holding a referendum. Here, apparently, it is necessary to understand to whom Zelensky is addressing this statement. To the citizens of Ukraine, of the mentioned regions, or to the citizens of Russia. If it's to the citizens and leadership of Russia, 
then we are the wrong address. There have been no peace talks between Russia and Ukraine for months, as Kiev rejected such contacts and claimed it would only negotiate after defeating Russian on the battlefield with the help of Western military aid. Before the talks broke off, the two nations appear to have made progress in resolving their differences. During a meeting in Istanbul in late March, Kiev had pledged to become a neutral country and accept restrictions on its military. Moscow said it prepared a draft peace agreement based on those proposals, but Ukraine never responded. An indirect Russian-Ukrainian deal was mediated last month by the United Nations and Turkey to allow grain exports from three Ukrainian ports to resume via the Black Sea. The scheme was formalized in two separate agreements that were signed by Russia and Ukraine with the other two parties. Russia sent troops into Ukraine on February 24th, citing Kiev's failure to implement the Minsk agreements designed to give the regions of Donetsk and Luhansk special status within the Ukrainian state. The protocols brokered by Germany and France were first signed in 2014. Former Ukrainian President Pyotr Poroshenko has since admitted that Kiev's main goal was to use the ceasefire to buy time and create powerful armed forces. In February 2022, the Kremlin recognized the Donbass republics as independent states and demanded the Ukraine officially declare itself a neutral country that will never join any Western military bloc. Kiev insists the Russian offensive was completely unprovoked. Pretty interesting there, huh? Oh, wait. <laughs> There's my banner for that story. <laughs> Zaporizhia will hold a referendum to join Russia. So we'll see how that plays out, ladies and gentlemen. That should be pretty interesting. Because Zelensky's like, it's all your fault, Russia. And Putin's like, uh, talk to your people, okay? It's supposed to be about the will of the people, right? You know, uh, that's kind of like if everything continues going as bad as it does, right? In, in the United States of America. So Texas is like, see ya! And Biden's like, oh, no, we have we have what? Uh, what would they say? We have Trump back separatists in the Lone Star State that are trying to separate from the United States. You know, that would be crazy, right? That'd be crazy. Uh, well, here's something even more crazier, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and we'll we'll wrap it up after this, guys. We'll wrap it up after this. Here's something even more crazier, right? Boris Johnson. Okay. A uh, disgraced outer in the United Kingdom, right? Has uh, has to resign. His entire party resigns before him just to push him out. Okay, scandals upon scandals, right? Okay, well, he's being petitioned to be the next prime minister of Ukraine. Okay, never let it be said that the globalists don't have a job for you, right? Especially if you did their bidding. He did a good job for the globalists, Boris Johnson did. He tricked everyone in the United Kingdom into thinking that he was going to be a Brexiter. He was going to exit the, the European Union, right? He fooled them all. He said, yes, when I am a prime minister, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, the United Kingdom will be sovereign, will leave the European Union, and I look like Donald Trump, and that's how I fooled all of you guys into voting for me, right? He had the looks, he had the talk, and, uh, well, he did some good work for the European Union so and for the globalists. So now they're going to make him a prime minister in 
Ukraine? Title of this article as we wrap up. Oh, wait. Yeah, there he is shaking hands with the prostitute. <laughs> what did you do for Boris Johnson? I'd like to know that uh, they're paying you all that money, Zelensky. Anyway, title of this article, Shakisvili 2.0. Okay, you guys remember Shakisvili, right? Shakisvili was the president of uh, Georgia, okay? And, uh, Georgia and South Ossetia, remember? Okay, so South Ossetia decides that they don't want to be part of Georgia, okay? So then Georgia starts to bomb and kill the people in South Ossetia. South Ossetia pleads to Putin to help them. Putin goes in to stop the genocide in South Ossetia at the hands of the Georgians. The West is told Putin is invading Georgia. Putin is this, Putin is that. You see the same template, the same story, the same blueprint they use every single time. You know, uh, a nation's people is tired of, the, uh, of, the, of whatever it is that these globalists are doing to them, right? Because, you know, if you're not in America... If you're in Eastern Europe and your country's being controlled by a globalist, you know there's corruption, you know they're killing people, you know they're killing people that are not going along with them, political parties that are stand up against the globalists who back the presidents in those nations. Okay, this is what was happening in Georgia. This was Sakisvili. Sakisvili uh, was, uh, he was, he was the president of Georgia. He had to flee. He, he then became the mayor I think of Odessa in Ukraine, you see? So anyone who's ousted in these globalist nations when they were backed by the, the West, they find a home in Ukraine. So I guess it's fitting. That's why they say Sakisvili 2.0 because the former president of Georgia who then became a mayor in Ukraine, Boris Johnson, he did a lot more work and a lot better work for the globalists than Sakisvili. So uh, they're going to make him a prime minister in Ukraine. Interesting, huh? So it says here, a petition to make Boris Johnson Ukraine's prime minister gains 2,300 signatures. So, so stupid. A petition to make Boris Johnson Ukraine's next prime minister. Does he even speak Ukrainian? I don't think Sakasvili spoke Ukrainian either, to be fair. But uh, anyways... Uh, uh, Boris Johnson, Ukraine's next prime minister, has gained over 2,300 signatures in one day. The petition was made public on July 26th on President Volodymyr Zelensky's website and has 90 days to collect a total of 25,000 signatures to proceed. The petitioner urges that Kiev grant uh, the scandal-ridden Johnson Ukrainian citizenship suggesting that the British politician would be a good candidate for Ukraine's prime minister spot. According to the Ukrainian citizen, Johnson enjoys worldwide support, has a clear position on the Ukraine crisis, and has knowledge of politics, finances, and legal aspects. Despite all these positive arguments, Johnson's candidacy is not without flaw. Under the current Ukrainian constitution, it is impossible for him to become prime minister. While the enthused petitioner has called on Zelensky to consider the proposal, social media users don't think it's a good idea. 
Some users recalled none other than Mikhail Saakashvili, the former Georgian president who was made a Ukrainian citizen in 2015 and then appointed governor of the southern Odessa region before being stripped of his Ukrainian, Ukrainian citizenship by his former ally, ex-president Petro Poroshenko. Zelensky subsequently restored Saakashvili's citizenship Currently, Saakashvili is on trial for illegally entering Georgia. He was sentenced to six years in prison in absentia in Georgia in 2018 for abusing his presidential office. So far, it's unclear whether Johnson, who by his own admission has just lost the world's best job, would want his political career to take such a turn. The outgoing prime minister visited Kiev twice since the beginning of Russia's special military operation to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, pledging indefinite support for Zelensky's government. He announced his intention to quit as UK prime minister on July 7 after over 50 cabinet ministers and aides stepped down following a spate of scandals, ranging from violating the COVID lockdown rules and throwing parties to knowingly appointing a minister who had been accused of sexual misconduct and lying about it. The latter became the last straw even for the most loyal Tory members of parliament. Funny, funny, huh, guys? Interesting enough. Interesting enough. What is going on in Ukraine, right? What is going on in Ukraine? Okay, guys, we're going to call it a wrap here at the Sea Report. We got through our Ukraine update. Many thanks for joining us this evening. Well, let's fix that real quick. And hanging out as we did that. Uh, I think for the next uh, Ukraine report, uh, we'll try and get you guys some more on the ground, okay, on the ground reporting of what they're seeing in the Donbass. Um, and, and really all what that would do is it would just lay down more evidence of the, uh, the horrors and the treachery that the Ukrainian army is inflicting on its own people. And that's because they're the ones who are like, if you can't have it, no one will. And then they just go and destroy it. You know, they just go and destroy it. All right, y'all. Man, that was a lot of talking, a lot of reading. Okay, guys, we will be back tomorrow with another episode of The Sea Report. And uh, in the evening hours, uh, we'll see what we got to talk about then. Um, and of course, uh, the next episode of Lone Star News will be on Wednesday at 3 p.m., um, and that's a little tentative. I have, uh, I have exterminators coming over on Wednesday. So if they're here early, it's showtime. If they're here late, we might have to delay, uh, Wednesday's episode of Lone Star News. So I just want to let you guys know ahead of time. Uh, if you're joining us over at Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, Foxhole, or Pilled, make sure you follow or subscribe to this channel if you like, uh, the information I'm sharing. If you, uh, if uh, if you uh, like uh, like the, the the cut of my jibe, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, um, here daily during the weekdays, Monday through Friday, with the Sea Report at seven thirty p.m. Central Time again, and uh, we also have again Lone Star News Wednesday, Monday, and Friday at three p.m. And uh, another per- another show that we do here is See in the Dark. Uh, that is a weekend late night talk show type of broadcast. So you can look forward to that. Uh, we're currently bouncing around between 10, 11, and 12 midnight. That's right, for Sea in the Dark. Uh, we've been talking transhumanism. 
in the last few episodes of Seeing the Dark, and we'll continue that discussion this Saturday. Uh, myself and co-host Java will be talking about um, the cultural aspects of transhumanism. So it should be pretty interesting for those of you that want to jump in on that topic. Uh, it'll probably be at midnight this upcoming Saturday, but that's a few days ahead of time, right? Uh, don't want to get too ahead of myself. Uh, please do visit thecreport.com uh, for more information about the show. Uh, you can follow our blog there with original content as well as shared content per uh, fair use and um, an aggregation. Uh, and also uh, to visit the C-Report uh, Mr. Uh, CTV uh, online store. So if you'd like to support this broadcast and all of the other broadcasts presented at Mr. CTV, that's me, Mr. CTV, uh, you can get information there. Follow our socials at Truth Social. We are MRCTV underscore. Don't forget that underscore or you're going to get taken to a place you don't want to go. And that's at Truth Social. And also at Gab at MR underscore CTV. And we're also on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram, and stuff like that. But uh, mainly Truth Social, ladies and gentlemen, is where I lay down most of my work. All right, guys. That's about it. That's a wrap. That does it. I'm kind of hungry. Anyhow. Anyhow, ladies and gentlemen. It was a pleasure being with you all again tonight. And as always, um, be safe and be blessed. And God bless America. We will see you guys tomorrow. Thanks again, y'all. Have a great night. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Though victory is proof of the skills you possess, defeat is the proof of your grit. A weakling can smile in his days of success, but at trouble's first sign, he will quit. So the test of the heart and the test of your pluck isn't skies that are sunny and fair but how do you stand to the blow that is struck and how do you battle despair a fool can seem wise when the pathway is clear and it's easy to see the way out but the test of a man's judgment is something to fear and what does he do when in doubt and the proof of his faith is the courage he shows when sorrows lie deep in his breast it's the way that he suffers, the griefs that he knows, that bring out his worst or his best. The test of a man is how much he will bear for a cause which he knows to be right. How long will he stand in the depths of despair? How much will he suffer and fight? There are many who serve when the victory's near, and few are the hurts to be borne. But it calls for a leader of courage to cheer the men in a battle for Lord. It's the way you hold out against odds that are great that proves what your courage is worth. It's the way that you stand to the bruises of fate that shows up your stature and girth. And victory's nothing but proof of your skill, veneered with a glory that's thin. 
unless it is proof of unfaltering will, and unless you have suffered to win. Let's talk about Georgia. Uh, President Trump truthed about this earlier. Ballot images missing, right? Drop boxes with no video. And Disney's like, well, we don't care about that. We're going to die on this hill. We're going to be gay and we're going to rape our children no matter what you say because we are Disney. Uh, we don't normally run see in the dark uh, during the week. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, what the heck is this bald band talking about? Uh, you know, multiple broadcasts and shows come here on Mr. CTV channel. Uh, so you've got your C report Monday through Friday in the evening hours, right? And uh, we do see in the dark, which is a late night weekend talk show kind of, you know, broadcast, right? So guys, watch out. We got a swamp creature coming to the screen. So look out now. Look out now. Woo! <laughs> oh no, it's wretched Gretchen Whitmer. <laughs>